and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hi, everyone. I would like to introduce you to our guest today, Mark Coleman. He's the author of From Suffering to Peace, Make Peace with Your Mind and Awake in the Wild. He is the founder of Mindfulness Institute and has an MA in clinical psychology. Mark has guided students on five continents as a corporate consultant counselor, meditation teacher, and wilderness guide, and he lives in Northern California. So I would like to welcome Mark to the show. Uh, The book that I had the opportunity to read is From Suffering to Peace. So Mark, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Yes. As I um, told you before, and my audience um, is aware that I had lost my mom pretty tragically a few months ago, and we were going to get ready to have this conversation probably way too soon than I should have been podcasting. So I really am uh, very grateful that we were able to wait a little bit and have you on a little later on. So I've been able to digest the experience, but I have also been practicing mindfulness for a while. I teach it with my clients. I am a licensed mental health therapist. I have my own private practice. So I've always tried to incorporate some mindfulness techniques in to be able to help my clients. And so before we begin to talk a little bit about from suffering to peace and some of my favorite parts of your book, I was hoping that you could just let our listeners know a little bit more about your background and the work that you're doing in the world. Sure. So um, I am from England originally. I grew up in northern England, in Northumberland, and um, had the good fortune of um, being in London uh, in the 80s and uh, stumbled across a meditation center um, when I was actually a punk rocker and anarchist and very uh, troubled young man, very unhappy, angry, and was busy blaming the world for my problems. And uh, and I discovered mindfulness meditation and realized that my mind was actually so much of the source of my own anguish and stress and suffering. So that really became a lifelong pursuit of studying meditation and mindfulness and, and all the different forms in mostly in Buddhism, but also in other traditions and took me to Asia, eventually landed up in uh, North America. And when I came to the States, I fell in love with the wilderness. I've always been a nature lover, but the the nature in North America is pretty wild and vast. And so I began taking my meditation practice outside and um, doing my own personal retreats outside. And that uh, became uh, really a life, another lifelong passion. And then I was invited to start teaching in the Buddhist insight tradition about 20 years ago um, through Jack Cornfield and others. And so I'm based out at Spirit Rock Meditation Center, which is a wonderful Vipassana insight center. And so I've been teaching um, mindfulness through that vehicle. And then uh, I quickly realized that um, many people would not ever step foot into a Buddhist center and needed translation of, of these ancient wisdom teachings. And so from the Mindfulness Institute, um, which is a way of teaching mindfulness in organizations and, and healthcare and education and 
Um, and then also began teaching my nature practice outside. So I have a uh, institute called Awaken the Wild, which is the name of my first book, which um, is really about integrating mindfulness into nature. And so most of my time these days is actually devoted to um, teaching meditation in nature and retreats in the U.S. and Mexico and beyond. Very wonderful integration of that. And, and then also the last maybe five or ten years I've been involved in training a lot of teachers. So I, I run mindfulness teacher trainings and nature teacher trainings and um, also work for other organizations helping train teachers, which I think is really important as we as mindfulness grows, that we learn how to, to grow a um, generation of teachers that really understand the depth and the breadth of the practice. So, and that takes me to the present day and, and having been involved in the mindfulness world for you know few, several decades now and, and in the secular mindfulness world for the last 15 years or so, I... Um, you know, saw the explosion of mindfulness when I started practicing in meditation in London in the eighties. Nobody had really knew about much about meditation or Buddhism. Now, you know, pretty much anybody you speak to has some contact with mindfulness or meditation or yoga. And but my concern, having studied in the in the Buddhist tradition and, and the depth of uh, wisdom traditions for so long. I was concerned that mindfulness was losing uh, the, the the meaning, the original meaning and scope of it, which is really it's a path of liberation, a path of how do we understand our existential human condition? How we how do we meet the both the beauty and the the suffering of life? How do we meet the joys and the sorrows? And so, the book really is an attempt to um, speak to how mindfulness really can can help us in every facet of our life. And so here we are today. Yeah. And, you know, we're recording this during the time of the world going through this pandemic. So, um, you know, pretty interesting. And just even the title of your book, From Suffering to Peace, I think that a large part of our conversation and what you've already written in this book, we could probably help some of our listeners um, to help them during this time you know, as well of what everyone is going through. And a lot of people are suffering and how do you find peace and so much that is changing, which is actually going to bring me to the first chapter in um, the book or the fourth chapter that you have here. But I wanted to just let our listeners know a little bit about how you break this book up. I really liked it. There's um, a few different sections. There's four sections. And what Mark does is in section one, he has a bunch of different topics that we're going to go through, uh, not today, but that are in section one. And it's finding peace in the body. The second section is finding peace in the mind. The third section is finding peace in the heart. And the fourth one is finding peace in the world. So I've decided to pick out a few that I really wanted to talk to him about that had a great impact on me when I was reading it. So I um, also wanted to just mention too, before we go to the first part, is that there's a part in the very beginning where you are actually teaching the reader the majority of the time we aren't even in the conscious mind that I think that I think it was 45% of the day, you know, we are not in the conscious mind and you had written in there and said, so pretty much most of our life, we're not even present for it. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So that was some research I think came out of Harvard, but I could be wrong. Um, where participants were tracked over a series of weeks and were asked what they're doing, are they, are they aware of what they're doing, and how do they feel? 
And uh, yeah, the accumulated data was people weren't present to the task they're doing 46.9% of the day, which is basically half your day. And if we spend a third of our days you know, in bed sleeping, not day but nighttime, and half the waking day uh, not present, then basically we're only present a third of our each day, which is um, by the time we're 60, we've only been present for 20 years of our life, which is kind of sad. And so what mindfulness is attempting to correct is that uh, that deep ingrained habit of, of not being present, of being lost in our thoughts, of spacing out, of mind wandering, what in neuroscience they call the default mode network, where we're mostly just busy ruminating about ourselves, worrying, telling stories, catastrophe scenarios, anticipating future problems. It's part of our evolutionary psychology. And it's a way that when we're not mindful, we just get lost there. And so the, the, the sad part about that is, is life goes by. You know, right now I'm calling in. It, it is during the pandemic, and it's also a beautiful spring day, and there's birdsong and sun rising. And if I'm lost in my mind or spaced out, then I miss the beauty. And so, um, or we miss the, the the things that our children, our families are doing. And and so, uh, mindfulness is really about first and foremost is training us how to develop this present moment attention so we can then actually have choicefulness about what we do with our attention and and really optimize our sense of well-being and presence yes thank you and in chapter four of your book is really great to talk about right now because there is so much uncertainty in the world. Um, you know, chapter four talks about trying to find refuge in that. And I love about how you go through and really talk about, uh, change and how really that's our constant. And that is what is certain is change. And so many people that I have spoken to, I've had experiences in my own life. We tend to resist this change or really don't know how, um, to work with it. And I just wanted to read uh, one part that I thought was great for our listeners too. When you're talking about um, just the natural responses um, to our human predicament that we have, and you just put it so beautifully where you say, we live in a changing world and an unreliable body. How true is that? (laughs) We live with uncertain relationships, a fluctuating economy, shifting social norms and rapidly advancing technology. We never know when disaster will strike. Whether that's a life-threatening diagnosis to a loved one, a forest fire that rips through our house, or sudden economic crash that guts our retirement savings, and we can also add in there now, or a worldwide pandemic. Um, No wonder we're anxious and restless. No wonder the brain, in an attempt to survive this turmoil, developed a negativity bias, which is always scanning for perceived threats. Where do we find peace and ease amidst this ever-shifting reality? So I was hoping you can just talk a little bit about how mindfulness begins to help people um, respond rather than resist. You talk about that in this chapter as well. And how can we begin to have more of a beautiful relationship with change, with, you know, impermanence, with things that are constantly moving? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a very important question, as you say, with this. We, we do live in these uncertain times and the only certainty is uncertainty. And if we 
cling to how things were or how things sh- some idea of how things should be then of course we're going to suffer because things are out of our control for the most part in this this pandemic this virus is really revealing how little control we have internally or externally and so mindfulness you know again first and foremost is really training us to be present to what is right? not what we want it to be not how we like it not our preference not how it sh- we think it should be but what is and what is is changing what is is uh ebbing and flowing like the breath like pandemics like economies like joys and sorrows and so um the only refuge we have in that is is in really an awareness in in the ability to be present to that experience and that that awareness illuminates our, our relationship to experience can I be present to this? Yes, no. If I can't be present to it, what am I doing? Oh, I'm resisting. Oh, I'm fighting. Oh, I'm hating. I'm blaming. I'm judging. I'm all the ways that we add suffering onto, you know, the distress of change. So, um, one of the things that meditation practice does, mindfulness practice does, is is have us pay attention to this truth, the truth that everything changes. This is one of the key insights of the Buddha, but really all wisdom traditions, and particularly with nature, is that everything changes. And to resist that change, to fight it, to judge it, to think it shouldn't be happening, is just adding unnecessary pain. So it's really, within mindfulness practice, there's also a quality of of not just meeting what is, but accepting, oh, this is how it is, right? I had plans for some. I had a whole year program of meditation retreats and nature retreats and family gatherings. And look, and then pandemic happens and none of that's happening. Lots of retreats canceled and, um, you know, and it is how it is. And I'm not suffering around it because it's it's out of my control. And it's like, OK, well, they all canceled now how given that how can i respond and so i'm creating online courses and online trainings and you know and so that ability to meet experience and flow with it allows us to be more responsive great thank you also in this chapter you gave me a gift and i'm sure every reader that reads this book which is the one less mantra Mm-hmm. And I absolutely love this. Can you talk about your one less mantra? Uh, so I was on a retreat and um, actually the teacher was uh, exploring death contemplation, just reflecting on our own mortality that we're not going to be here forever. And, um, and how are we meeting that? And how can we use that to galvanize a sense of you know, really seizing the moment and making the most of this precious life. And um, as I was breathing and contemplating breath, I was aware that with each breath I take is one breath I'm going to have in this life. Each full moon rise that I see is one less full moon rise. Each summer that we're about to enter into is one less summer that I will experience. And so we can look at that in two ways. One is um, gloomily, like, oh, no, it's my breath is going, the moons are going, the summers are going. Or we can look at it as, oh, if this is one less summer, I want to be present for this summer or this breath or this person or this event. And so um, I find that very helpful to just to reflect that 
none of this is going to last for very long. It's all changing, and eventually we will lose everything. And so if that's the case, I really want to make sure that I'm present and here and really showing up for this beautiful, amazing, mysterious thing called life, called breath, called sunrise, called birdsong. And so it really is an invitation to to really be present and, and be here fully. Yes, thank you. I love that. And, and I'm adding it to my mantras. Um, I sometimes get teased a little bit by my friends because they sometimes feel like, oh, you, you think about death way too much. Like uh, I was uh, having a road trip with a friend back in February and uh, we were talking about death and I was just showing so much appreciation for the moment and so excited. Like you were talking about knowing that this is what I'm having in this moment right here. And my friend was like, do you think something's going to happen to you? Or are you getting an intuitive feeling that maybe you're not going to be here very long? And I said, no, I said, but you know, contemplating death is one of our best teachers because for me, it brings me when you do think about that, truly appreciating what is happening right here, right now, which is also one of the gifts that I have found from this pandemic as much as people want to try to have fast moving momentum and to try to get things done. And some people are trying to predict, well, what will I do this summer once, you know, we're not paused anymore. If you really allow this pandemic and work with it, flow with it, you'll see that there's so many beautiful moments of trying to teach us how to be more still and how to be in our day because we've got nowhere to go. We don't, you know, we can't, we can't plan necessarily for some things. If, you know, like yourself, myself, we own businesses here and we're trying to get creative and figure out how we can still do what we need to do in the world. But at the same time, there is such beauty in having nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, okay. So let me move to, Let's see, knowing dissatisfaction and its causes. This is in section two, finding peace in the mind. And I'm just gonna run to some areas here that I have highlighted that I wanted to talk to you about. Okay, so you, you speak in this chapter, rather than ignore or turn away from the dissatisfaction, with mindfulness we can inquire directly into the unsatisfactory nature of things. How does this help, you say? The more we are aware of this quality of experience, the less reactive and surprised we are likely to be when things are not quite what we hoped. So um, trying to interrupt the frustrating tendency to want or demand more from experiences than they are able to deliver. So can you talk a little bit more about, you use the term uh, dukkha, I think is how it's pronounced. Um, and how do we begin to embrace moments that maybe we aren't finding very satisfactory to our being and uh, not be as reactive to those moments? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it sort of dovetails with the conversation we were just having about change and how mindfulness is really, it's a profound um, way of orienting to experience and uh, meeting it as it is, whether it's changing or whether it's not what we wanted, whether it's unpleasant, unsatisfying. Um, so simple example, so I came out to the woods, uh, to a cabin that I know because I'm doing some recording in nature and I thought it would be the perfect place for recording and, and it sort of is in some ways and it's freezing and it's very buggy <laughs> and there's workers just showed up 
constructing down the hill and um and and i sort of laugh because you know i i imagine this perfect you know tranquil woodsy scenario and and of course it's the woods there's bugs and there's noise and there's turkeys gobbling and mice in the roofs and and all kinds of things and so um you know, again, I can I can make a lot of suffering out of that, judging it, hating it, resisting it, thinking it shouldn't be happening. It's and and that just makes me more miserable. Versus going, well, of course there's mice in the roof. That's we're in the country, and of course there's bugs. It's mosquito season, and of course there's workers happening because we're they're renovating the building down the hill. And why wouldn't they? And why shouldn't they? And so it's really we we both mindfulness is teaching us to meet what's here. And then to see our reactivity to when we don't get what we want. And of course, life is full of not getting what we want. Nobody wanted a pandemic. No one wanted to be, or most people didn't want to be sheltered at home for many months and lose work and whatnot. And yet here it is. And so so how do we meet that? Can we meet that with awareness, with acceptance, with fluidity, and noticing when our uh, you know, when our mind comes in and has has views that create a lot more stress, like this shouldn't be happening, or I should have predicted this problem, or it's my fault, or it's the government's fault, or, you know, some kind of blame, anger, judgment, versus just, oh, this is what is. Can I be present to what is? And I can also be present to my feelings of disappointment that the contractor showed up or... You know, I might not be able to do the project I plan to do. This is not, so not, not dismissing that, that the emotions that arise, but not fighting the reality because that just creates more stress. Yeah, exactly. And um, in the same chapter, you know, when I think about people, when they come to my office and some of the things that they're struggling with are the three things that you listed is basically not getting what you want, losing what you have and being separated from what you love. And as you say in the book, everyone's going to go through all of those experiences. So, you know, why not try to find more of a way to move through life where you're feeling more peace, which is, I think what you're trying to, you know, convey to the reader in this is like that we don't need to suffer, but let's find peace in everything that's forever changing. Um, right. In particular in this pandemic, we're definitely losing, <laughs> not getting what we want, losing what we have and being separated from that which we love. And again, is that does that need to create suffering or can we meet it and learn how to relate to it with wisely and kindly? Yeah. A, a few weeks ago, I was speaking to um, a woman who uh, also was practicing Buddhism, and I believe that she was a monk, still is, um, or was for a few years. And she had explained it with the pandemic as if we were going through a bardo experience. Uh -huh. And would you agree with that as well? Yeah. The bardo is an is in-between state, usually referred to as the, you know, for, for the state between death and, and rebirth, but any any sort of transition in between moment is a bardo and definitely the this experience of sh sheltering in place or in lockdown and being between modes is definitely a bardo and uh, can be uprooting and disorienting. And again, how we cultivate awareness and meet that determines whether we, you know, do we get caught in reactivity and wishing it were different or do we just meet the circumstances as it is? 
And with that, we don't struggle so much. We don't add more suffering onto the fire. Yeah. And I'm sure there might be listeners out there saying, well, that all sounds great, but how do you do it? And one of the things that I want to mention is you give us a lot of tools in this book on how to do that. Each chapter that you have has a beautiful meditation. And one of my favorite ones was in chapter 26 about embracing loss. Like I had said, this book had come across my desk at the time where I was you know, there, and I'm still there, you know, about embracing loss. So I was hoping you can talk a little bit more about that and how to move from that suffering to the peace and the softening into loss practice is something that I have been practicing and doing. So I just wanted to, you know, thank you for that. It's really a beautiful meditation. I've taken it to a couple of clients, um, to help them with this as well. And so would love to know because so many people suffer when they lose someone that they love, you know, and want them mm-hmm. to be here. So how, how do you suggest that we can embrace loss and find peace from that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first, sorry to hear of your loss of your mother. I'm sure that was very difficult and profound. And, you know, and as, as you know, loss takes and, and the, the meeting of loss and the grieving of loss and uh, adjusting to that is, is a long process and takes months, years. And um, again, the, the, the practice here can be very helpful because, you know, again, it's a, it's a profound shock to the system. It's a jolt. And even if we're preparing for someone's death, it, when it happens, it's always, it's always comes as a shock to lose someone that we love and their presence. And so this is um, where it's important that our attention, our mindfulness practice is really infused with kindness, right? with love. Right? I think of love and awareness as really two sides of the same coin that whenever we're present to something, the, we're doing that with a loving attention, with a kind awareness, with a warm-hearted presence. And so um, the first thing with loss is, is we have to meet ourselves and uh, the, in all the emotions that arise, sadness, grief, anger, hurt, emptiness, loneliness. Um, and we welcome and feel and allow those feelings, notice them in the body, feeling their wave-like nature and grief is is very wave-like and it comes at different times sometimes powerful sometimes gentle sometimes quite often unexpected and um, again our practice of mindfulness is simply learning to bear witness to the truth including loss including this all the different emotions that come with loss sadness grief and so awareness which is the sort of the the essence of mindfulness it is like the sky. It has the capacity to hold any experience, no matter how beautiful or how difficult. We have the ability to be present and to feel and to hold with a kind attention whatever arises. We don't always have that capacity, but we have that potential in any moment. And so grief is, is powerful and is a powerful teacher, and we can... Just as we meet any experience, we can learn how to embrace that, which means allowing and welcoming and accepting all of the range of emotions, not fighting them, not 
judging them, not resisting them, not having views that it should or shouldn't be this way or that way. And just, oh, grief is like this. Tenderness is like this. Feeling my vulnerability as a human being is like this. And so it's that the mindfulness invites a quality of softening into the heart or the midst of the experience. Um, yeah, softening, yielding, opening to... And over time, that, that grieving process becomes a slow adjustment to the loss. And over time, that the, the grief moves through. And But we're still left with a, a sadness or a tenderness or a vulnerability because we've lost someone or something that we love. And that can't be replaced. Um, but there's a, there's what arises with the practice is an, is an ease in the heart and not fighting the truth of it and not thinking that it's wrong or shouldn't have happened it's, it is how it is and in that in that through that we can find peace it's when we resist and fight and struggle that we cause agitation and contention yeah uh, one of um a really beautiful Buddhist practice that I had read, and I'm sure you're familiar with it, uh, described a way to take care of your emotions, um, to take care of them like you would a crying baby. That if mm -hmm. a baby is crying, that you hold it and you're assessing it and you're trying to figure out what does it need. And, you know, to not, you're not going to throw the baby or just ignore it, but you tend to it. And you hold it and you wait until that baby stops crying and is content again. And I love that as a practice of how we can hold our emotions, like you said, to not resist them, but allow them to come up, to feel them, to, you know, ask what it needs and tend to it like you would a baby that was in distress. So I love that practice. And, you know, another thing that I was thinking about with this pandemic is so many people are experiencing many different levels of grief and loss, even if somebody isn't dying from this virus, but there's a loss of what that life that they were living once was. Uh, many people who are going through a grief process, you'll often hear them say, I don't even know what day it was. Uh, time just flew by. I didn't even have any concept of time. And I'm hearing a lot of people as we're moving through this pandemic, a lot of people can't even recall what day it is either. You know, I'm seeing a lot of grief reaction. Um, so, too, you know, we're, we're at this this period of time to also learn how to embrace some of the loss when people say, well, if we get back to normal or what the new normal is, there's a lot that of loss that is happening as we're moving through this pandemic as well. Yeah, no, definitely. There's a lot of disruption and separation and you know of course losing loved ones and being separated from family who are sick and not being able to visit them and yeah there's a lot of loss and grief and and again um you know how we meet that uh can we meet that with kindness as you say the way that we hold a, a child in distress can we hold ourselves in that way can we hold our loved ones that way and of course you know there are times to take action and times to engage and to respond. But the, the first step is really noticing what's happening, welcoming it, feeling it, being aware of it, noticing its changing nature, and then asking, what, what is the wise response? Do I reach out? Do I call? Do I tend to myself or others? Do I take action in some way? Right? So it's, we don't just be present and be with it and feel it, but there's also a place for engagement and action 
Um, so thank you. Yeah. yeah. So, um, can you let our listeners know just how you're adapting to this change and what you are going to be offering online? Like you said, some of your summer courses have been canceled and you're readjusting mm-hmm. yourself to figuring out how you can still probably run things. So, um, can you let our listeners know what your website is and what you have planned in the next uh, few months and throughout the summer in case they're interested in learning from you? Sure. Yeah. Well, um, in California, we're in lockdown till the end of May. And so I've been offering um, a lot of my programs online. So I've been offering meditation retreats online, my nature retreats online. I've been doing a daily sunrise meditation from 7 a.m. Pacific time and um, just supporting people to have a nature practice, particularly those who are in the city who can't see the sunrise. And so uh, Monday through Friday, I've been offering those teachings and I'm just about to launch an online course in mid-May around uh, cultivating resilience in nature, um, which I think is very important, how we stay resilient, resilient and resourced during this time. And also, um, I have several other retreats coming up in the summer, one in June. Um, there was going to be a wilderness retreat, but in, in, um, instead, we're doing a four-day online retreat where I encourage people to be in their gardens um, or in their, you know, in their, on their balconies or in the woods if they can get some kind of reception. And then we practice together as a community, often worldwide. Like for my sunrise meditations, I have people tuning in from Singapore and Brazil and India and Australia and Europe and North America. And so it's a way um, of, of encouraging people to practice at home or practice in the park or in the garden and really still feel the power and the benefit of meditation, of community, of retreat. And so I have a retreat coming up in June. Um, and, um, and then I'll, you know, my website is markcoleman.org, M-A-R-K, coleman.org. And um, so I'll be listing more events there. And hopefully some point in the summer, we may be able to have an actual live retreat in person, but we'll see what the rules are about social gatherings. Um, but for now, yeah, if you check my website, I'll be continuing to offer courses and programs online that you can do in the comfort of home from Australia to England to South America to I even had somebody calling in from the Arctic Circle a couple of days ago. <laughs> wow. And all those places that you mentioned are all places that we have listeners from as well. So I hope that I'm introducing them to you and that they will uh, be able to, you know, have the benefit of learning from you to take these courses. And again, I just wanted to remind our listeners that the book that I have been referring to and speaking about with Mark is his book from Suffering to to peace, the true promise of mindfulness. So thank you again. And, um, I will say this will be one less time that I will have with you this, this interview. So thank you so much. I really have appreciated your book and your teachings. And I want to just thank you very much for this, this conversation today. Great. Well, thank you for your good work and, uh, take good care. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. I also wanted to remind you that we are selling live stream tickets over at our website for $129 for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. This conference is going to be held online only June 5th through the 7th, and you can get your access by visiting path productionscom AC2020.